Welcome to the Doing Jewish Podcast. This episode, we will discuss why Jews do the retarded things that they do. Specifically, why Orthodox observant Jews do the most retarded things that they do. Um, specifically, this episode, we will discuss Shabbat practices. And we've discussed many of the Shabbat practices, most of which are universal. In Judaism, uh, most practicing Jews make Kiddush, like candles, eat challah, and so on and so forth. And now we will start, we're going to start delving into some of the you know, less um, universal and more specific um, Shabbat observances. So <clears throat> everyone knows that Orthodox Jews have many restrictions on Shabbos, on Shabbat. Everyone knows, or most people who are familiar with with Orthodox Jews know that Orthodox Jews don't drive cars, they don't use technology, uh, they don't cook, they don't turn the lights on or off on Shabbat. And when these things happen, when these things need to happen, um, there's no real good solution for them. And they usually are very good at preparing beforehand. You know, if there's a blackout and things don't work out, there are things there are things that can cause disturbances. Um, and Orthodox Jews are resilient, and they, you know, they they deal with it. The question is, what's the what is the meaning behind of this practice? Why do they do it? If you are curious about the practice of observing Shabbos, um, tra- the traditional Shabbat observance, then you are in the right place. We, so the, the history of Shabbos is actually traced back to the beginning of creation. So in the beginning of creation, God created the world in how many days? That's right. So God created the world in six days. You said seven? Six. He created the world in six days, six working days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, you know, Kabbalistically, or even non-Kabbalistically, if you look at the simple meanings of the words, it sounds like the seventh day was also part of the creation, and the resting is itself an aspect of creation that God infused or incorporated into the world. However, the actual creation took place on the first six days, and the seventh day, he rested. This seventh day is known as Shabbat, Shabbos, the seventh day of the week. And God expects us, he commanded us multiple times in the, in the Torah, multiple times in the Jewish holy book, that we must observe Shabbat. How do we do that? God tells us Shabbat observance is to mimic, as it were, his behavior. God spent six days creating. Therefore, we, as humans, spend six days creating, six days of the week. And on the seventh day... Day number seven, we don't create. We rest like God rested. Now, did God like lay back in his lawn chair in Hawaii drinking a margarita? No, God did not do that, right? Well, then he wouldn't be God, right? So that's not what God, what did God do? What does it mean God rested? Did God, was like, was he tired? Did he take a break? Like, what, what does it mean that he rested? Good question, no? Ever thought of that? God God doesn't need a rest, right? He doesn't, he doesn't work, he doesn't rest. What, is it, what does it mean that God rested? So 
many of our sages, the commentaries on the Torah explain that when it says that God rested, it means that he created, which is really, let me backtrack a little bit. We address, we, we, I touched on this a minute ago, and that's something that really needs to be addressed, is that when it says that God rested on the seventh day, right? So we discussed that how many days did it take for God to create the world? Right? And how many days did God create the world? So some people say six, and some people know, know that it was seven, right? So you know, I mentioned earlier that it really was six, but but really, really, it was seven. What does that mean? It means that the seventh day, the resting day, was actually a part of creation. So that that is really the answer to the question, is that the rest that God took is not a rest like like what we described earlier. You know, God did not lay down on the beach, right? The rest that God took means that he incorporated and put into the world a idea of of what it means to rest, what it means to take a break from work. Why would you take a break from work? Work is productive. Taking a break is not productive. Why would you ever want why would God ever take a break? The answer is that the rest that God took is not a rest due to a, due to a lack of productivity. Rather, it means that he rested from work in order to reflect on the, as it were, on the, on, to use um, human um, common terms, he, he rested in order to reflect on his achievements, reflect on what he created, what he accomplished. If you never take a break from creating, then your creation is meaningless. Because you're constantly creating, 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 but then... You never use your creation. So what is the value of what you've created if you never have a chance to use it? So God is showing us that he's incorporating into the world a, a moment in time every single week where you don't you stop creating and that gives you the ability to use that time to reflect and to enjoy what you've created. Now, there's another aspect to this, a, a deeper aspect to this. When, you, when a person... A person has two parts, you know, this is discussed amongst many, you know, amongst many, um, many, many scholars, many Torah scholars, even secular scholars. This is a very common idea, very basic idea that a, every human being has two aspects to them, right? There's their, their physical, physicality and their spirituality. Right? What does it mean, spirituality? Spirituality has nothing to do with religion. Spirituality is to use, you know, the late Rabbi Doctor Abraham Tversky's words. Spirituality is the drive to pursue the human spirit, which he calls the spirit that takes humans and makes them above above the animalistic base desires and base some um, drives of, of a human being. So, what's spiritual? So, for example, altruism. Altruism is a purely spiritual thing if it's done right, right? If it's done correct. When when a person's altruistic, when a person does something. For somebody else, without getting any gain, including pride and glory and honor, right? You're not getting any of that stuff. You're doing it. No one else knows about it, right? That is a purely spiritual act. You're doing that because you have something in you which we may not be able to understand or explain. We have something in us that says we need to be kind. And that is something that animals don't do. Animals follow their instincts. If humans would follow their instincts, they would not be kind. But human beings have this spiritual drive to be kind sometimes and to be altruistic 
And that's something that is purely spiritual. That's something that we don't get from working. And our our commentaries and our sages explain to us that when a when a person spends his entire time every his, every um, waking moment of his life working and creating, then he's pursuing the 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 things about about himself he's pursuing his he's using utilizing his talents he's using, doing all good things but it, what he's doing is pursuing the aspect of himself that is that is physical not spiritual the only way to develop and cultivate a spiritual aspect to a person's life and a person's person's routine is by taking a break from working what are things that are spiritual and not physical so you could say family relationships um, you don't have to go as far as saying charity and kindness, which is true, but we could talk about, you know, being kind to your family, spending time with your family, building relationships. These are things that are, are spiritual, which if you spend all your, all your time working and doing, you know, your, um, pursuing your, your, your utilitarian drive, you will have very little or no time or capacity or ability to develop those relationships. As you um, take time off of your routine to develop these relationships, to, to, to develop the necessary character traits that develop relationships and make you into a better person, and into a more calm person, into a more loving person, and a more trusting person, then you can utilize the... The, the aspects of your util, you, of our utilitarian utilitarianism utilitarianism hope that was good um, we can use our we can use the the fruit of our labor the work that we do and we can use that and take that and then use that for good because we're developed people now if we never spend time developing ourselves as people as human beings as spiritual human beings, then all of what we accumulated wealth, um, success, achievements are all meaningless because there's nothing to use them for. And therefore, it's vital, essential that we take a moment in our schedules to really develop our spiritual side. That's the concept. Now, practically, taking that, bring that into Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat is a day where we don't actually rest. And this is a question that everyone has. Whenever you meet a secular Jew or a non-Jew, they say, how could you call Shabbat a day of rest if you don't rest on Shabbat? I'm like, what do you mean? And they say, Shabbat is so difficult. You can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. It doesn't say anywhere that you're supposed to rest. Oh, there's a bunch of restrictions that you can't do. And if you can't do anything, then how do you enjoy yourself? How do you enjoy your vacation? How do you enjoy your rest? If you can never, ever, ever rest because you, you can't cook and you can't clean and you can't, um, you know, you can't turn the lights on or off. You can't drive. That's not a rest. The answer is not an answer that everyone wants to hear. But the rest, like we said before, does not mean the rest that you and I think about, you know, it doesn't mean a weekend off. The rest means a time to do a different kind of work, to work on the spiritual side, to work on the character development. And we do this by restricting the ability to be creative, to create 
and it's it's specifically creative work that we're not that we're not permitted to do things that that we are proud of things that we're that we enjoy things that are physically that that our physical achievements are things that we refrain from doing there's no there's no spiritual restrictions in Shabbat as you will see the whole construct of Shabbat is about developing our spirituality there are 39 biblical restrictions these are restrictions that are biblically prohibited these restrictions come from um, the way the the Talmud the sages understand um, the the restrictions of Shabbat which are which are which are derived from the building of the tabernacle the building of the Mishkan the Mishkan was built and after the Mishkan was built the Torah says that you should keep Shabbat and the the sages understand from that that the things that they did to build the Mishkan are the things that are prohibited from doing on Shabbat. So this is a biblically derived, um, this is a, a Talmudic understanding of, of the biblical passages. And therefore, the laws of Shabbat are considered biblical in, in the times of the sages. There was a death penalty. It's not simple to to be eligible for the death penalty, but to show the magnitude of the transgressing Shabbat, there is a potential death penalty associated with transgressing Shabbat because it is a biblical prohibition. And there are 39, um, 39 acts that are prohibited, 39 categories of acts that are prohibited. Each one has subcategories. I'm not going to go through all of them. There are some that have to do with the process of making bread, so planting, sowing, harvesting, and so on and so forth, until grinding flour, kneading dough, um, baking, um, lighting a fire, lighting a, uh, lighting a fire, um, and then we, we go on from there to the act of creating a garment, so shearing, spinning, a combing, spinning, um, weaving, um, stitching, and so on and so forth. And then there are many other um, categories, there's 39 in total, and each one of them has uh, biblical versions and categories and subcategories and have also rabbinical um, rabbinical prohibitions that are added on top of that. So we have, I just want to maybe explain something that's very, very broadly misunderstood. Um, and there's a common thing. When you when people talk about really all, you know, religious or observant Jews, what they're prohibited from doing on Shabbat, there's generally two things that they talk about. One is turning on a light, and the other one is driving a car, right? Do you drive in Shabbat, and do you... Oh, we can't turn lights on. We don't turn lights off. Now, according to most authorities, almost every authority is of the opinion that turning a light on or off is, of, is only a rabbinic prohibition. Um, the the prohibition would be, for example, in electricity, it would be kindling a fire. And since there's no actual fire when you turn on electricity, um, unless the only exception would be an old-fashioned incandescent bulb, which if you find, you know, they're very uncommon today, old-fashioned incandescent bulb where the filament actually gets red hot, that's considered a fire um, according to Torah law, and that would be prohibited biblically. But most um, forms of electricity today, again, also, a ga you know, an electric um, burner would be a Torah prohibition because it also gets red hot. But uh, most electric appliances are only rabbinic.
Driving a car, on the other hand, is very much biblical because most cars run on a combustion engine and that is an actual fire. So every time you add, you push down the gas pedal, you're adding fuel to the fire and that is a biblical prohibition that would be prohibited on a biblical level. Now, if you have an electric car um, or a Tesla, I don't know all the details, but if you do have a Tesla, um, you're, pro you're probably better off, likely, than in your gas car because that would be, again, electric and that would be only a rabbinic prohibition. I am not advocating for that. Um, it's not a good idea. We, we treat biblical and rabbinical prohibitions almost equally. There are many, there are many differences, specifically when it comes to the Shabbat, but overall we treat them with um, um, similar strictness. And that's just an interesting, interesting thing that people, that I've heard from people that they completely misunderstand is, you know, equating using electricity or technology, for example, using a phone on Shabbat is only rabbinic. And therefore, there are going to be many, many leniencies when it comes to rabbinic prohibitions, as opposed to driving a car is not rabbinic. And therefore, there's very, very few leniencies. The only leniency in um, in in um, halacha, in Torah, in the Torah, in the Torah view, the only leniency to drive a car if, is something called pikuach nafesh, when someone's life is at is at risk, when there's a serious danger to someone's life. God forbid someone is having, you know, a heart attack or a stroke or um, even something that's a suffix, it's a it's a doubt a doubt whether it's a risk to life or it has a potential to be a risk to life. So if somebody has chest pains and we don't know if it's a heart attack or if it's just something else, you could also drive a car or override any rabbinic any Torah prohibition. Rabbinic prohibitions are much easier because the rabbinic the, the rabbis did not make these rulings, they did not make these rulings in a case of of a, of a chola, of someone who's ill. Even if their illness is not a threat to their life, if it's a serious illness that's, that causes them to be bedridden, the rabbis permitted, did, did not prohibit um, sh their Shabbat decrees for those people. And therefore, your... Um, your typical, there are things that, you know, for example, using electricity is something that is going to be very, very lenient when it comes to someone who is, who is ill, someone who is not well. And um, in a case, it's a little complicated, we can't get into all the details, but there, there are many, many instances where we would use, um, we, we would override our rabbinic prohibition, even if there's no imminent threat to someone's life, there is just a illness. So that is... Uh, um, one major distinction between rabbinic and Torah laws. Now, someone asked me, and this is a good question. Someone asked me last, a, a couple weeks ago, someone asked me two questions. First of all, why do the rabbis feel like it's necessary to make extra prohibitions? Isn't the Torah prohibitions enough? That was question number one. What are the rabbis doing? Question number two is, isn't it silly that in, according to Torah law, if you, if you drive a car, on Shabbat, but then if you use your hand, your left hand and a stick, and you push the gas pedal like that, and it's indirect, then it's only, then it, then it's permitted. Isn't that strange? Was how does the guy on the street know that I'm using my left hand and I'm pushing it with a stick? Maybe for all he knows, I'm using my foot. And then you have that issue where people seeing don't know, don't realize. So that is.
That is so weird. And I explained to him that the answer is in the question. The answer to the first question is the second question. And the answer to the second question is the first question. By Torah law, it is prohibited to do certain things and only those things. And if you, you know, use these loopholes and you go around it, then it is permitted. However, the rabbis thought exactly like you. The rabbis said, that's ridiculous. It can't be that we're going to let you use these loopholes because everyone's going to just use the loopholes. And then the Torah law is going to be trampled on and it's going to be what's called a bizayon. It's going to be shameful for the Torah. And therefore, that is exactly why the rabbis came in and said, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to make sure that we're going to cover all the bases. So in any way that person could trample on the Torah laws by doing things backwards ways and using all the loopholes, we're going to cover all the loopholes. Now, when the rabbis said that, when the rabbis decided to cover all the loopholes, they created loopholes within their stringencies. And for example, like we mentioned earlier, someone who is sick, someone who's ill, is going to, is not, is going to be allowed to use the original loopholes. Now, these aren't loopholes in loopholes and loopholes. What the rabbis did was said, we're, we're trying to remove the loopholes. However, when someone who is sick, we allow them to use the previous loopholes. The rabbis didn't create new loopholes. They said, you can use the loopholes that were always around, and we're not going to um, restrict you from that if, you know, in certain instances, and one example is when someone is ill. That's just a, a brief overview of why, why we do what we do, why, the, why religious Jews um, observe Shabbat, um, what the importance of Shabbat observance is, and what it brings to us, and which, you know, we, we discussed Shabbat observance allows us a time to, to take away from our physical accomplishments and create a meaning for those physical accomplishments by elevating our spirituality, working on ourselves, and thereby giving meaning and giving purpose to the, our work on this world. And then we delved into a little bit of understanding what and how the the some of the the restrictions, the 39 laws, uh, the 39 categories of work and how the, the, the overall restrictions of the, of Shabbat, um, play out and the various, um, Torah prohibitions and the rabbinic prohibitions. And I think in the next episode, I will delve in to some of the, some of the, 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 some of the benefits specifically, you know, with regards to the 39, um, the 39 malachos, the 39 um, acts of work. And we're going to go through some of the things that you could benefit directly from refraining from these 39 things, very, the very spiritual and spiritual and character development that we could benefit and derive from observing Shabbat. Hope you guys have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbat. And I hope to make your Shabbat practice and observance more meaningful and if you have any questions or you want to you want me to discuss anything please don't hesitate to share you can um leave a leave a comment or you can send me an email a farkas at norfolkola.com that's a f a r k a s at norfolkola.com have a wonderful wonderful shabbat